Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We're going to be a little bit all over the Bible, and uh, I've got the verses, they'll be up on the screen, so um, you can write them down. You'll be able to read them up there, but then you can write them down if you want to know where they are. Uh, The text I want to launch off from is Genesis chapter 1. Um, verse 26 and 27, so right there at the very beginning, and I believe I have that up on the screen as well, so um, here we go. Let's read um, from verse 26. It says, uh, and God said, and this is the sixth day of creation, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them, which is an interesting um, article just because, you know, he only made one, but he knew that it wouldn't be just one, you know. So Eve was already in the works to be formed, though she had not yet as, as yet been, um, or didn't come until later, but God knew what he was doing, what he would do. He says, let them have dominion. That means control, sovereignty, power, uh, over and uh, that, that's not among, that's not alongside of, that's not with mutual respect for, not that that's bad, but he says over, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. I think God's pretty clear that we have been given dominion. Um, I was told this week that uh, um, a a mother withdrew her child from a preschool program um, because one of the songs that they were singing contained the word farm, and that that is a specist term. It is specist, because animal farms are wicked, because (laughs) it is... It is the exaltation of the human species over the animal species. <laughs> this is the world that we're living in. But uh, the Bible has the answers. It's <laughs> God's mind on that is, is as your reaction reflects. It says so, verse 27, it says, So God, watch this, here it is. It says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him Male and female created he them. Now, that is uh, two verses that says a lot of things. And there is an amazing amount of truth uh, that's unfolded in there. there. There's an amazing amount of um, building blocks and dynamics and, and, and things that help us to understand uh, all of God's order, all of God's creation. Uh, it's interesting to, to, to even just to realize that uh, male and female were created on day six. Like that, the, the female was actually created in this moment when, when God said, let us make man in our image. Uh, it would be some time, probably weeks, months, maybe years, before Eve would actually be formed and separated, and yet she already existed. Uh, she existed in Adam. So, you know, when, when, when God made man in his image, man was a combination of the male and the female in one. You know, so, so male and female created on day six. Now, if you read uh, Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and this is just to satisfy this thing that I've just stirred up in your mind. Um, if you read it, it actually says that, that, that in the image of God made he him, in the image of God made he them, or male and female made he them, and that he put them together, and he called their name, that's singular, Adam. So it went singular, plural, singular, all there in that little thing, Genesis 5, 1 and 2. He, it says he called their name Adam. So, so what happened is God made man in his image, male and the female. Then he took the woman out. That's why her name was woman, because she was taken out of man. She was not created after the fact. Everything was created in six days. She was removed from Adam, and then they were put together in marriage, and their name, singular, was called Adam or man. And so man was made in the image of God, 
the male and the female to be joined together. And that is what God intended. And so man was made in the image of God. And so what I want to talk about over these next few weeks is some of what it means that we are made in God's image. Because that sets us apart from every other part of God's creation uh, in an amazing way. I mean, that sets us, when it says over the, the fowls of the air and over the fish of the sea and over, the, it's not just a little bit over. We're way over. And, and it's not just in our control of it. It's in our very position. It's in, it's in what we are being made in God's image in the sense we're holy if for nothing else than that, that we're made in God's image. You know, that we're image bearers. We're a reflection in some way of him. And so I want to look at four elements of that. Uh, Now, not for the purpose of our mental exercise. The point is not so that we would know. The point is so that we would understand who we are. And that in following order, then we would understand why we are. Why am I the way I am? Why do I think the way I think? Why do I feel the way that I feel? Why is, are there conflicting things? Why am I the way I am? And, and part of understanding that is understanding that we've been made in the image of God. And so the four areas what I want to look at over these next weeks are, are four, four uh, elements or attributes or inherent characteristics that we have because we're made in God's image. And so today we're going to talk about what it means that God is relational and that we're made in his image. And then we're going to talk about what what it means that God is rational and that we're made in his image. And then that God is emotional, that is that he has the ability to feel and that we are emotional. And then finally, that God is volitional, meaning that he has the ability to choose. Uh, and he's also given that to us as well. And so uh, these four things and what they mean to help us understand uh, and how it also helps us to deal with the confusion and the complication of life. And so uh, today we talk about how God is relational. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time building a case before you today that God is a relational being. I could. I could spend a half an hour giving you verses about how uh, even in the verse we read, Genesis 126, God said, let us make man in our image, a conversation amongst the Trinity, a relationship right there. Uh, We'll see that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. That's relational. God spoke of Abraham and he said that I know him you know, that he will. There was a relationship that was there. God was interacting with him. There was a relationship capacity to it. Uh, In the New Testament, we read consistently in Ephesians, in Corinthians, in Colossians, that we have been reconciled to God. That's a term of relationship, that there was a relationship that was broken that's now being restored, that's being redeemed, that God wants a relationship with us. And constantly throughout the New Testament, we're being called to know God. That's relational. All right. Second Peter 3.18, it says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. That means to know God. And it's just over and over and over again. Paul said to the Ephesian church, Ephesians chapter one, he said that he might give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing him. So knowing God, the fact that God is relational, it it goes without saying. You don't even need to. It's almost common sense that God is a relational being. Now in that, he has also made us relational. Man is relational. So what does it mean to be relational? It means, first of all, that we have the capacity. It's inherent within us. We have the capacity to know God and to be known of God. Because we're made in his image and he made us for a relationship, we have the capacity, the ability to be in a relationship with God. And and you can just stop right there and let your mind be blown. To, you know, to think that we could be in a relationship with God. But he's given us that capacity. It also means that we have the capacity to know and be known by other human beings. That we're relational on the horizontal plane as well as on the vertical plane. That there's a relational aspect to us where, where we can do that. Now, Further than that, to be relational, not only do we have the capacity, but because we're made in God's image, we actually have a craving built inside of us 
for both of those things. There's a craving inherently in us to know our creator and to be known of him. And believe it or not, to know other people and to be known by them. That's a craving that God has made us to have, to to be in relationship with other people. With that also, taking it even further, being relational, it means that God has put inside of us, in that we're in his image, a desire to impact other people and be impacted by other people. That is, to have an influence in their lives and to be influenced by them. That's what relationship does. It's the mixing of lights, the mixing of color, the mixing of life, of this this invisible essence or substance, and it's impactful. And so we have a desire to impact and a desire to be impacted, to touch and be touched. And then finally, we have in this that we're relational, we have the ability and the desire to both love and to be loved. And and we have the craving for the same things. And so the fact that we've been made in the image of God means that all of these things are an inherent part of who we are. Now, before the fall, before Adam and Eve sinned, and we know the story, before that happened, man had a relationship with God And he had a relationship with his wife. He had a relationship on both the vertical and the horizontal before the fall. And I can only imagine what that must have been like. I mean, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. And in that, he was absolutely complete. He was living out the fullness of what it means to be in a relationship with God. He was knowing God. He was being known. He was enjoying God. And he was experiencing God fully. He was filled with his love. He was loving God back. He was being impacted by God. And God was being impacted by him. There was a mutual interaction in relationship that was going on between God and man. It was unbroken and it was perfect. That part of man was completely satisfied in relationship with God. Man also had a relationship with his wife. Now, there's only one verse that describes the dynamic of the relationship that Adam had with his wife on the horizontal plane prior to the fall. It's Genesis, and it says, I don't, I don't think I put it in there, but it's uh, at the end of Je- chapter 2 of Genesis, the last verse, it says that the man and his wife were both naked and they were unashamed. That the man and his wife were naked. Did I put it in there? I did. Genesis 2.25. It says that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, in the Bible, nakedness speaks more than just the physical. Nakedness in the Bible speaks of every part of the being. It speaks of vulnerability. It speaks of uh, being uncovered, being fully known, fully exposed in every way, both mentally, emotionally, physically, completely. And it says that they had that, they were naked, and yet there was absolutely no shame among them. There was a total knowing of one another. They knew each other through and through with total vulnerability, and they were enjoying each other at that deepest of levels. Now, no human being has had that level of intimate relationship with another human being since that time. It has never happened since, not in any marriage, not in any friendship. It has never, ever, ever, ever happened ever since that time. But think about what it was like or would be like to be in a relationship with another human being where you can be completely exposed, every part of you, and to not feel any sense of embarrassment or shame or self-consciousness or, uh, or worry, or to see another person that way and bear no judgment at all or have no critical thoughts towards them or no desire that something would be different, but to completely love someone completely as they are. That's what Adam had with Eve prior to the fall. They were naked and they were unashamed. Again, that's one verse that just speaks volumes as you just think about it and uncover it layer by layer by layer. Man never felt detached from God and and he never felt isolation from man. So he didn't even know what it would feel like. It never even entered his mind to realize what he was enjoying. I met uh, a man recently who got a, a new kidney after being on the list for a very long time. And uh, he's doing very well, and he has a whole new lot on life, and he is full of joy because of, um, because of his new kidney. 
And and I was looking at him, and he just looked great. And I'd seen him before, and I saw him after, and he was just so blessed at his life. And I said, you know, I in all the time that I've been walking with the Lord, I have never thanked him for my kidney, ever, because it just has always worked. And because it has always worked, I've taken it for granted, and I've enjoyed it without giving any thought to its place or function. And that's exactly what relationship was like to Adam prior to the fall. He had it. It was full. He never even had to question what it was or if it worked. It just was. He was satisfied. It was awesome. That's what man was prior to the fall. Now things get complicated because sin comes into the picture. And when sin comes into the picture, listen, two things happened simultaneously. There were two things. Number one is that sin as a condition, as a virus, so to speak, entered into man. And at that moment, he was compromised, he was defiled, and he was corrupted. By the way, that was the beginning of the CDC. (laughs) Because he was compromised, defiled, and corrupted. The CDC was born on that day. The Center for Disease Control was now necessary. Okay, <laughs> because, because man was corrupted when sin uh, came in. And it was like a computer virus. There were things that were put into Adam, into man, that were never intended to be there. Uh, desires, information, there were things that, that man was not made to possess that were put into him at that moment. And there were also things that were taken out of him at that time. Uh, you know, the, the fact that he was no longer in relationship with God. The light of God was taken out of him. There were things that were taken out. His ability to see clearly was taken out. What he had in just trusting God and not knowing good and evil, taken out. That's part's gone. So things were put in, things were taken out, and all of a sudden man was compromised morally, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. Every part of man's being was compromised when sin came in. The second thing that happened, not only was he defiled, but he was cut off from God. The connection that Adam had with God was broken because of sin. That's what it meant when it said, well, one of the things it meant when it said that you will surely die. He was no longer in relationship with God, which was one of his highest purposes for existing, (laughs) right? It'd be like like an appliance that's running that is now unplugged. The very thing that makes it work is now detached, and you just have this almost lifeless thing that's still moving, but it's just waiting to die. It's just the things are still spinning, but the source has been cut off. The plug is cut. And that's what happened at that moment. Now, those things had a huge impact (laughs) on man, right? To be defiled and cut off from God. But there was one thing that did not change, and that is the fact that man was still made in God's image. That did not change. And thus, man's relational capacity and relational desire did not change. His relational ability and his relational enjoyment and experience, that changed. But his capacity did not change. And so the result of the fall, the result of sin, is that man's relational enjoyment was compromised, changed, and damaged. He automatically felt void, empty, and painful. There was a a pain, maybe indescribable emotionally, mentally, because of the severing from God. And he felt, man felt the shame of his defilement. And that's why it says, first thing after the fall, it says that they knew that they were naked. Now, they knew they were naked before. It wasn't like all of a sudden he was like, what the? <laughs> you know, No, he wasn't stupid. He knew that he wasn't wearing any clothes before. But now because of sin, there was shame that had come into man. And that shame, now, he was aware of that shame, and he became embarrassed of his vulnerability because there were things inside of him that weren't supposed to be there. Sinful desires, sinful passions, sinful guilt that was inside of him that caused shame, and he immediately became uncomfortable with his vulnerability. So what's the first thing that the man and his wife did? is that they sewed them together fig leaves and they began to cover over the nakedness. They began to put stuff on the shame so that they would not be completely known. 
They would never be completely known again from that point forward. The second thing that they did is they hid from God. They hid themselves amongst the trees in the garden because of... Now, you can't hide from God, okay? (laughs) Because God is God. But you can hide from people. You can cover over what's really going on, and you can do that from, uh, from them. Now, you can cover, and that's what they tried to do. It drove man feeling his nakedness and his shame, to hide from God and to hide from people. And so he tried fig leaves. Long story short is that God said, you got to get rid of those fig leaves. That ain't going to work for you. Let me clothe you. And God did not say, I can make you naked again. All right? Man has not been naked and should not be naked. We'll get to that later. (laughs) Um, And and cannot be naked. It can't can't happen because of the presence of sin. It can't happen to, to really be that at that level like he was, you know, before. But God said, I've got some clothes for you. Wear mine, not yours. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll do much better for you. Okay, so here we are today, having said all of that and looked at the theology behind how we got here. You say, now here we are. Okay, here we are. We're human beings. We're in a fallen world. Uh, we're fallen people. Yes, we've been redeemed by Christ, but we're still in this corru- corrupted body. Um, we still wear clothes. We still can't be vulnerable. What does all of this mean? It means this. That we were born into this world absolutely naked. Okay, when we came in, we came in in the same way Adam came into this world, wearing nothing, carrying nothing. But at the same time, we were born with a sinful nature, and we were born separated from God. And so the effects of the fall touched every single one of us from the moment that we were born. We know the shame of nakedness, right, and the, and the, and the vulnerability of it, and, and yet we also understand um, the, the confusion that comes from sin and the separation. One of the first things that we learn to do as we grow up is we learn to put clothes on. Now, that's, of course, literal, but I'm not talking about the literal. I'm talking about the, 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 the other kind of clothes, the coverings on the inside. I was sitting at um, the table Thursday night, uh, and it was a, kind of a half-family night because people were playing sports and other things, you know. And so it was me and uh, my wife and my son Noah, and I don't even think Riley was there. So he, I think he was doing something, too. Uh, and it was just the three of us, maybe one of the other older kids, I don't even know. But, but Noah looked up, uh, sitting right across from Georgia, and he said, I don't like this food. You know, now she, she, that, you know, some wives don't care because they're like, I don't cook and I don't care that I don't cook. But my wife is like, that's what she does. She loves to cook and like, she's really good at it. You know, And, And so like she pours, it's like what I would pour into a Bible study, she pours into a meal, you know, like, and, uh, and so she, she really like gets into it. So Noah looks up at her and he goes, I don't like this food. Now, he's six years old, okay? That's okay. A six-year-old's going to say that. If he doesn't like his food, he's going to tell you he doesn't like his food. So I looked at Noah, and I said, Noah, I said, you never, ever say that. (laughs) (laughs) Ever. You just don't, no matter what, no matter where you are, even if you're at a restaurant where the person who made the food isn't there, you just never, ever say those words. And I said to him, I said, what if you drew a picture for mom, and she looked at it and said, I don't like this. How would that make you feel? You know, I said, mom made you this food. I said, I said, all of us don't like it. (laughs) I go, (laughs) I said, but you don't say that. I said, there's certain things that you just don't say, you know, even though you're thinking them. Now, here's what happened. This was the most amazing thing. And it's one of the things I love about my son, Noah, is that he doesn't have very good shield. He's like me. He doesn't have much fashion sense for clothing, you know. Is that all, he, he put his head down, and his face kind of scrunched up, and he put his arm a little bit in front of it, and he, and he almost had to choke back tears. Okay, now, I didn't yell at him. Okay, it was, it was done as lighthearted as I just gave it to you. There was laughter. There was smiles. You know what I mean? It was, it was like a moment of hilarity, but yet his, his face tucked, his arm came up, and he had this feeling of sadness. And, and I looked at my wife, and I said, that's the most amazing thing that just happened right there. You know, because what, what we just did is that we just taught him, we just told him that he has to wear clothes. And he, and he is feeling the shame and the frustration of what that means. He's actually feeling it. 
And here's what's going on. He can't tell you this. I can tell you this, and he'll be able to tell you this when he's older, but he can't tell you this now. But here's what just happened, is that he is internally realizing somewhere inside that who I am, who I am as a human being, the core essence of, of who I am is that I don't like this food. But I can't let them know that. Because if I let them know who I really am, then they'll reject me. So they reject who I really am. That hurts. At the same time, I have this craving that I can't explain that I want them to like me. And I want to be in a relationship with these people. And so in order for me to be in a relationship with these people, I have to cover who I really am. And for some reason, I'm willing to do that because I want these people to like me. And there's a pain that comes knowing that if, if, if it is really known who I am, then people aren't going to like me. But yet somehow I want them to like me, and so I'm willing to cover up who I am in order to have that. That's confusion. This look, the scrunched face, the arm going up, was a combination of confusion, pain, and shame. All at the same time in a six-year-old who can't describe any of those things. That's clothing. Do you understand? And that's what we learn to do from the youngest of ages. We put on, we pick our nose in kindergarten. Someone goes, look! And we go, clothing. Don't ever do that again. Don't ever put that that fits perfectly in there. (laughs) Don't ever, ever do that again in public. Because if you do, then you'll be shamed. And people that, that maybe you don't even like them, but you want them to like you, won't if you do what it comes naturally for you to do. So don't ever do that again. That's, and we just, we just do that. And, and we study and we learn. And we're in social situations. This is good. This is not good. Athleticism is good. Uh, you know, weakness is not good. Uh, coloring within the lines is praised. Coloring outside the lines is not praised. This, and and we just, we're just building information and building a wardrobe, building a wardrobe, building a wardrobe, building a wardrobe. When I sit down with married couples, uh, pre-marriage counseling, I just laugh sometimes, and I look at them and I laugh, and I said, you guys have no idea what you're getting into. Because I said, and I'll read them Genesis 2.25, and, and, and I will say, you guys have no idea how many layers of clothing you are wearing and carrying into this marriage. And over the next 2, 5, 10, 15 years, those clothes are going to get old, rip, and tear, and things that are underneath are going to start to be exposed, and you're going to see what you're really doing. And you're going to go, oh my gosh. And you're going to see the things that come become exposed in your own life that you haven't looked at in 20 years. And you're going to say, oh my gosh. Because that's what we do. We put clothes on. We cover over uh, the, the, the things um, because of uh, the shame. We're driven to relate, but that's all twisted up because of the fall, because of the shame of sin, the confusion of things. So what are the events? This is going way too long. I'm going to speed up my pace here, which I will. Don't worry. What are the effects? How does this affect us? This, this, the, what, what was happening to Noah, what happens with all of us, how, how do we cover it? What do we do? What's our coping strategy for dealing with this confusion? Number one, and these are three different things, is some people, they isolate themselves. In order to deal with this issue, this pain of this, the confusion of it, they isolate themselves. They say, I'm not going to let myself get close to anybody. I'm going to abandon, and Christians do this too, I'm going to abandon the possibility of having a a, a meaningful relationship on the horizontal plane. I'm not going to let that happen. It's too painful. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too confusing. So I'm going to build barriers and I'm going to have enough of a distance between myself and people that, that, that I never have to experience that pain of having a relationship with someone. I'm going to isolate myself. Now, the problem with that is that it creates relational atrophy. You forget how to relate to people. You lose the ability to relate to people. It also causes the death of personality because our personality wasn't made to be just ours. It was made to uh, come alive as we interact with other people and to impact them and to be impacted by them. And so that isolation has consequences. 
and personality begins to die. We become hollowed out inside. But we do this because of a fear of rejection, a fear of the shame that we might experience if we are real with somebody, uh, a fear of abandonment that someone might leave if they, if they don't like us or if we're not long, no longer convenient to them because of the fact that it might be realized that we're insufficient. Our insufficiency, that we're not enough, might be discovered. And I don't want to have to deal with the pain of all of those things, so I'm just not going to. I'm not going to let myself get close to anybody because I don't want to feel that. That's one coping strategy. Another coping strategy, uh, because of the twisted up thing, is, is counterfeit gratification. See, we have the relational desire. We, it's in us. We're made in the image of God. We're driven to want to have that, to know what it feels like. So what we do is that we find things that will mimic the feeling of intimate personal relationships, and we do those things to satisfy the need, but unto the corruption of the soul. So things like pornography or fantasy, that's what they are. That's that's trying to experience the intimate without actually having the relationship. Uh, A psychologist did a study, um, a deeper study, as to the reason why people get addicted to pornography. What is it? And, and, And the suspicion was that it's more than just the physical pleasure. It's more than just, you know, the sexual gratification. What's the reason? What's the thing that's driving it? And what they found after some prodding is that there were two things, there were two drivers that were underneath the surface. Number one, is is that the the nature of the seduction is that women or men that are are in pornographic images are depicted with an expression of having a desire for the person who's looking at them. In other words, they look at you from behind a screen or behind a page as though they want you. It isn't just they're doing something and you're looking. No, they are looking at you with desire. And it's that desire to be desired that drives a person in that direction. That's one thing. The other thing, and this is amazing, is the secrecy of it, is, is the peeping Tom element. It's that I'm, I'm looking at something that I'm not supposed to see. In a sense, if I was in a meaningful relationship with this woman or man, you know, I'm, I mean, I know we're all men in here today, but maybe someone's listening. <laughs> I don't know. That's a woman that struggles with this, you know, or something. But, but, but it's that, that if I had a, an intimate depth of relationship with this person, then I would have this level of intimacy with them where I would see this. And so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing them in secret, something that I, I'm stealing something that should be given, in other words. And that's part of the allures, the secrecy of it. It's like, oh, I'm seeing something that no one else can see. And that's part of the relational drive. To, to know someone underneath the surface, to be known underneath the surface, not the physical, but the internal, that these things were drivers behind this counterfeit experience, this counterfeit expression. Another counterfeit gratification, uh, it, it, they, they can come up in many ways, but I read about someone, and I know this sounds crazy, but they're a counter, uh, uh, um, what's the word, uh, a compulsive flasher. Now I don't know how I don't know how, I don't know how you get to that point how you get to that level to be a compulsive like you would think that that's one of those things you don't need therapy for that that's like a cold turkey condition right like you know you could just stop yeah get some buttons you know buttons would fix that you know or something but someone with a compulsive flasher and so they were talking to a counselor and the counselor began to probe a little bit uh into this behavior and and what what was exposed through some conversation is that the thing that was driving this behavior was the reaction that was obtained the reaction that's what it was that's what caused the person to do it, is that they, they, they enjoyed the shock factor of hitting, you know, the, that person, you know, what the, you know, and that's what did it, you know, you know, and, and the counselor said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're made in the image of God, and being made in the image of God, you have been wired up with a desire to impact people's lives. That's something that's inside of you. God has put that in every one of us to make an impact on people. Now, when we don't serve in the function or capacity that we've been made to, then we will twist it and it will become perverted and it will express itself in some other way. And so there are twisted things that we do in order to express something that God has placed in us to be holy.
It's amazing. Another way that people gratify the, the relational need without having a relationship is doing uh, things that will numb it. Uh, by the way, there's many other coping strategies, counterfeit gratifications, gambling, gaming. It's a way that I can feel like I accomplished something without actually doing anything. You know, there's a lot of ways that we do it. <laughs> you know, uh, but there's another one, and that's numbing. Some people, in order to not feel the pain associated with, with the relational stress or desire, They'll just numb it. They'll numb it with substances. They'll numb it with busyness. They'll numb it with uh, obtaining things. They'll numb it with goals and drives and busyness. They'll numb it with whatever, television, movies, endlessly. They'll just numb it. I'm not going to feel this drive, uh, this desire to be in relationship. I'm going to cover it every way that I can. I don't want to feel the shame, frustration, or confusion that sin has caused to my relational nature. Now, listen, all of these things isolation, counterfeit gratifications, things that we use to numb ourselves, all of these things are fig leaves. They're our attempts to try to cover up and and separate, hide ourselves from other people. They're all fig leaves. Okay, what's the solution? What's the solution, the real solution? Because we're in a fallen world, in fallen bodies. That's the reality. What's the solution? Number one, is to be reconciled to God. I think I've skipped like a thousand things. No, I didn't. I'm just going really slow. Be reconciled to God. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. It says that he has made old things to pass away. He has made all things new. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. God is calling us back into relationship with himself. That we're to be reconciled to God. I'm not going to read this whole passage again just because of time. But it, it talks about the fact that we can have a relationship with God. Wherein now, not only have we been forgiven of our sins, but we have been accepted by him. That's one of the verses there. Um, it's either in that part or in this part. Uh, it must be in the first part. Where does it say it? Do you guys see it? It says, uh, I don't know. I, I give up on technology anyways. You know. read, read Ephesians chapter 1. It's one of the most powerful truths in this whole relationship with God thing is that we've been accepted by him is that he sees us as we are, he knows what we are, and, and because of Jesus and because of the blood, we've been accepted by him. And so the first thing that happens is that the vertical access is restored. We come back into a relationship with God, and that becomes the foundation of the redemption of our relational elements, okay, is that we're brought into a relationship with him. He fills in that the relational needs that we have. All right, we're satisfied and filled because his love fills our lives, Part of the reason Adam got so messed up is because he was separated from God. If Adam just was defiled by sin but not separated from God, he could work with that. But because he was both defiled and separated, that's what threw everything into the tizzy. So the first thing is to get right with God. If you're in a right relationship with God, he can heal that, and now he can begin to work and enable the horizontal. And so get right with God. The second thing that is essential if we're going to get this thing right, if we're going to fix this relational problem that we have, here it is, get ready for it, is that we need to stand before God naked. All right? Now, what does that mean? <laughs> Again, for someone that maybe, you know, is, is you know, used to just taking everything literally, that's not, it's not literal, okay? <laughs> it's, don't, don't go like somewhere and be like, this is what the pastor told me to, to stand before. I'm at the altar. Oh, come to the... Uh. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, listen. Hebrews chapter 4, okay, verses 12 and 13. Listen to it. And this is why this is important. He says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it is a discerner. The word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked, watch this, naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, any time that we are going to get mentally, emotionally, personality-wise, naked, it's shameful. It's hard, okay? But we're to stand before God, not putting on any fig leaf fronts or hiding behind any trees and trying to pretend that we are something that we're not. 
When we come to God, we come to him as we are, which means that we come with our sin, our shame, our addictions, our wounds, everything that we are, both the positive and the negative, we bring it before him and we stand before him naked because that's what we are anyways. He sees it all. You can't hide it from him. Now, why would we do that? Here's why. Because when we stand before him naked, what he does is he begins to divide between what is sinful and corrupted. No, no, listen, these are coping strategies. When you listen to me for too long, you've got to listen to something else. No, no, I know. No, no problem. <laughs> listen, this is important though. Listen, because this is critical. This is huge. This is why we stand before him naked. Because what he does is he discerns between what is sinful and corrupted and what is installed and intentional and what he put in our lives, okay? So we get before God all that we are. And, and we read his word and he reveals in his word. And all of a sudden he says things like, don't be lazy. He says things like, don't be a whiner and don't complain. He says things like, you shouldn't be unmotivated. You shouldn't be a slob. You shouldn't be selfish. You shouldn't be covering over your, your pain with drugs or games or movies. Or he, he tells us these things in his word, okay? What he's doing is he's saying that these things that are a part of your life are fig leaves that were not designed by me. And then what we do with that is that we repent of it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us, remove it away. So we say, God, look, I'm lazy. That's not from you, is it? He goes, nope, I didn't make you to be lazy. Lord, I'm lazy. I am sorry that I'm lazy. Can you fix this? And he goes, I sure can. Close your eyes. Ah, you know, he rips it off like a Band-Aid. <laughs> he throws it away. God, I, I, I'm afraid to be in a relationship with another person. I, I'm Whatever. I realize what's not of him in my nakedness, and I allow him to separate. Now, there's other things about us. God, they make fun of me because I like country music. What? No, I'm, I'm making that up. <laughs> okay. Okay. okay, I may change that. Okay, God, they're making fun of me because I like to color in coloring books or something. You know, just whatever it is, all right? And God says, God says, wait, wait, wait. Okay, they're making fun of you because of that, but that's part of what I've made you. There's nothing wrong with that, all right? That's not, that, there's no flaw there, all right? That's, that's something that I put in you. You like to wear cowboy boots. You like science fiction uh, novels or stories or movies or something like that. That's your personality. That's part of who you are. My wife, she likes natural foods and healing, and she likes Mother Earth. You ever go in there? I don't, <laughs> I don't like Mother Earth. So I, I go in there and the, the smell of the place, there's just something about it. There's a spirit in there that just makes my skin curl, you know? And, and here's what happens. Listen, no, here's what happens is that when Mother Earth comes up, it's an easy jab. I can poke fun, and, and I do. You know, I make fun. Oh, the, you're going to see your friends today. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and, it's, and again, it's lighthearted, the whole thing. Okay, but, but for her, that's a part of who she is. That's what, that's what that moves inside of her. That's part of how God made her. Okay, so she doesn't need to cover that up. I might wound her, but she doesn't need to cut that off. Do you understand? That's what the word of God does. It divides between what is sinful and what is intentional. What is installed because of the fall and what is installed in your life by man. And we become secure in him, in who we are. And the fact that people make fun of it or hurt us because of it or because we're not enough, that doesn't matter anymore because I'm not living for you. I'm not a byproduct of you. I don't have to please you. I live before him. That's part of what's going to enable relationship to happen. And so we stand before him naked. That's what, part of what we do. That's part of what we've been called to do. Number three, not only are we to get right with God, and then stand before him naked. And then number three is that we're to ditch the fig leaves. Let God take the fig leaves off. Well, what do you replace the fig leaves with? Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. 
He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold that's been tried in the fire that you may be rich. Watch this. And white raiment that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness does not appear. And then anoint your eyes with ISAV that you might see. We are not ever going to be naked on this side of eternity in the, in the vulnerability context. There are clothes that we have to wear. I, I don't tell my wife if her best friend drives me nuts. Okay? That, oh, but I want to be open. I want to be... No, no, no. There's some clothes I have to wear, even in my marriage. <laughs> you know, that's just, that's just the reality. I can't be, I can't come in here and say, guys, I, I was lusting after your wives. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I, I, you know, like, let me, let's just be real, you know, today. And, and like, let's just, no, there are, there are things that we can't, like, I can bring that to God. I stand naked before him and I say, Lord, you got to fix this, this, this flaw in me. But I, I don't want the shame of my nakedness to be just trampled on. I'm not going to cast my pearl before swine. You understand? So, so there, there's clothes that I have to wear. But notice that the clothes come from him. They don't come from me. They're clothes that come from him. He covers. In other words, the horizontal is still secondary to the vertical. I'm still before him first. You understand? And so what that means is that I'm trusting him, all right, I'm trusting him in the vertical to keep things in the horizontal where they're supposed to be. That allows me to be vulnerable with you on a level where we can have a real relationship. I can put myself out there and not be afraid that you're going to abandon me. You might. I don't have to be afraid that you're going to take what I've said and slander me. You might. But I don't have to be afraid of that and keep myself isolated from you and not have a relationship with you because of it. Because I'm in, in his place. He's covering. I'm trusting him that he's sufficient and that he's going to fix. Do you follow what I'm saying? Are you picking up what I'm laying down? No. We're still clothed. And then finally, number four, is that carry an extra blanket. Carry an extra blanket. Okay? Now, that's a, actually a reference to... Remember Noah, the one who built the boat? Not my son this time, but Noah who built the boat. Later, later in his life, he had an episode where he became a, uh, you know, a farmer. He grew some grapes. He made some vintage, some nice wine. He drank a little too much of it. And he was uncovered. He was naked. And he was in his tent. And that's all it says. It doesn't say what he was doing, but obviously there was something going on that was immoral. And he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the youngest son, Ham, saw what his father was doing, and he began to expose his father's nakedness and publish it to people that had no business knowing what was going on in that, in that tent. And it says that the two older brothers, Shem and Japheth, it says that they took a blanket and they walked into the tent backwards and covered their father in such a manner that they would not see what he was doing or that he was uh, uncovered and exposed. And when Noah woke up, he knew what all three of his sons had done. He knew that Ham had humiliated him, and he knew that Shem and Japheth had covered him, and then he cursed Ham, and he blessed Shem and Japheth, you know, and the whole thing goes forward, all right? Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins, meaning that there are going to be times that we're going to see the nakedness of another person. Their clothing is going to tear right in front of us. They're going to have an outburst of rage, and we're going to see a part of their personality that we've never seen before. They're going to do something disgusting, and we're going to see a part of their personality that we've never seen before. We have a responsibility and a stewardship to handle those moments properly. And the way that we do that is that we carry a blanket with us, is that we choose that we're going to love someone in spite of their flaws. And that applies mostly at home, doesn't it, with our wives and with our kids? that we're going to cover over them. We're not going to expose and shame them because we're going to treat them the way we would want to be treated. And we're always going to be mindful of the fact that if our nakedness was exposed, we'd probably be more ashamed than they were. It's a mentality. It's something that we must do. Love covers. We don't look for someone's nakedness. We accept people in their fallenness, just as we've been accepted in our fallenness. Bottom line, studies over. 
Don't worry. There's no more points, no more things. I think there's a closing slide here. There is. Bottom, bottom line, final point is this, is that you are relational. You're made in the image of God. You're made to relate. So relate. Don't hide behind fig leaves. Don't cover in shame. You are cutting off a part of what God designed you to enjoy when you keep yourself distant from God and from other people. I was up in Lake Placid over the winter. Uh, sometimes I'll go up there for a day or two by myself just to prep studies. I'll try to get three or four or five studies ahead as much as I can do in a, in a two-day period or something like that. And I was up there in the winter time, which the Adirondacks in the winter time, I mean, that's brutal. And if you don't, especially if you're not a winter person, you know. But I was up in Lake Placid, and I was, but my wife wasn't there. My kids weren't there. I had this cabin uh, all to myself. And I, I went, and I'm a, I'm a loner. I mean, by, I, I am an introvert, a loner by nature. Like, that's kind of where I'm the most comfortable. It's where I recharge. So usually that for me is amazing. But that one particular winter uh, stay up there, there was a darkness of isolation that was up there that even I was like, this is not right. <laughs> this level of isolation. You know, I went for a walk outside and there was a chilling emptiness. And it was just like a reminder to me that we are not made to be islands. We are not made to be, we, we are relational. We're made in the image of God. So here's my challenge to you guys, and it's a challenge for me, is I'm relational by nature. God made me that way, whether I want to admit it to myself or not. And if I want to be all that he's made me to be, then that requires that I be in relationship with people. That there's, and it's not just the surface, like, hey, how's the weather? Did you watch the Yankees? You know, <laughs> But where there's a reality, you know, where there's vulnerability, where there's depth and intimacy, where there's a growth and a, and a, and a companionship as we walk together, you know, we need that. We need it. We're made for it. So do it. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.